Okay, we have been uh, talking through this topic of apologetics, defense of the faith. How can we reason through uh, defending the faith, defending our faith in Jesus Christ? How do we know that the scriptures are true? How do we know uh, that what we believe is genuinely true? Uh, just a couple of things by way of recap. The word apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which just means to explain or to give a defense for something, to reply, to, to refute charges, to defend, etc. And we see uh, that word used in a variety of contexts where uh, the author is talking and def- about, talking about defending something. I uh, think of that passage in Acts 22 and Paul is on trial and he's giving a defense for himself there. He's giving an apologia. In the context of how we use the word apologetics today to speak of a defense of the faith, uh, we believe that apologetics is for believers, it's for Christians. We should be able to explain why we have faith in Jesus Christ. Right? We're not called to just have this blind faith that is just, you know, we're just trusting in something without any reason for it whatsoever. Now we want to have reasons for why we believe what we believe, and so uh, we're called to give, be able to give an ex- explanation for that. That's First Peter three fifteen. Christians should be able to critique unbiblical worldviews. Second right, Corinthians chapter ten is a passage we've talked about several times about how we should be able to take every thought captive and uh, destroy every argument that raises itself uh, itself up against the knowledge of God. Uh, we want to be able to critique these unbiblical worldviews. And we want to use our minds and our intellect to the glory of God. As it relates to unbelievers, as we have d- discussions with people who do not believe in Christ, apologetics serves to help answer non-Christians' questions, and it helps remove distractions from belief. Right, we want to help people see the truthfulness of the Bible, to understand that, that the Bible is true, to understand that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ, and there's going to be questions that people have. They're going to raise up things that, are, that kind of get in the way, the hurdles, the barriers that, that come up. Well, apologetics helps remove those barriers, uh, clearing the way for belief. And so we want to use apologetics with evangelism to point nonbelievers to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, a summary of kind of just the, the whole purpose and overview of what this whole series is about and what we've been talking about. Last week... We talked through Acts chapter 17. I'm trying not to get in your way, Robin. I'm, I'm good there? Okay. Uh, we talked through Acts chapter 17, where it, we're not going to go super depth into all this all over again, but just kind of give us an overview. Paul is there in Athens, and he's having a conversation with some of the people up on the hill where there's all these false gods all around. There's the temple to Zeus, and there's a temple to, you know, all these different false idols, these false gods that are all over the place. Well, Paul is going to confront them. He first, he identifies, identifies the point of contact. Oh, I see you're very religious. Yes. Okay, well, great. Look forward to seeing her. Um, he says, oh, I see you're very religious. Well, now let me, let me talk to you a little bit about this. And then he, he challenges their unbiblical worldview. Oh, I see you have a, this temple to the unknown God. Well, um, let me tell you about that unknown God. I'm, and, and, and this is going to be contrary to everything you believe about all your other gods. All right, God is not someone who's made by human hands. He's not served by human hands. No, He is the eternal God who's created all things, and He is the one who is rules over all. He asserts the ultimate authority 
I'm going to tell you about the God of the Bible, what God has said about Himself. He pushes the antithesis, and this is where He begins to explain and says, and, and give the contrary viewpoint to what they were believing. They believed in multiple gods, and He's telling them about one true God. There's a conflict of worldviews there. They're not, they can't both simultaneously exist and be true at the same time. Either one is true and one is false, or they're both false, but they can't both be true. But he's pushing the antithesis. He's showing them, no, this, this, is going to be, this is contradicting your worldview. He illustrates his point by using philosophers of their own, just people within their own culture, quoting them and using their own uh, philosophers to help illustrate the point. There's a statement of grace, but also accountability. Where he says that there is, there is a time when everyone must stand before God and God is going to judge the world. And there's the call for a response. God commands all people everywhere to repent. And so we see this flow, and this, this provides us a good framework for as we reason with other individuals, as we have conversations about Jesus Christ with other individuals, this, this provides us a good, a kind of a good outline to think through. How can we pr- productively move a conversation forward? Individuals who don't believe in Christ yet, and we're trying to explain to them about Jesus, we're trying to tell them about the God of the Bible how can we productively move the conversation forward? And we can do that following the outline that Paul used as he was talking to the people there in Greece. We can identify our points of context. We can critique the unbiblical worldview, assert the ultimate authority, the God of the Scriptures, and then begin to push the antithesis, illustrate our points, and uh, call them to a response of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, all of this may not be done in all one conversation. Right, this, is, this may not happen all, you know, in, you know we, we read this in, in uh, Acts chapter 17 and it's just a couple of paragraphs long. It's like, man, you know, Paul just marching right on through and quite truthfully, Acts chapter 17 is probably a summary of what Paul was giving there at, in that moment. It was, probably, it was probably a longer dialogue than that just then that day. So this may not happen all in one conversation, but what we see it as we just continue to engage with people over time. We also saw that there were different responses that people had to Paul's message. Some mocked. They outright rejected the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some considered it. They said, well, you know, maybe I need to think about this some more. I'm not quite ready to believe, but I'm, I, just, I just want to think about it a little bit more. And some did embrace the truth. They did respond in faith. To Jesus Christ. What I'd like us to do today, as we look at this outline, there's this point in here about challenging and critiquing the unbiblical worldview. And I think in a lot of ways, this may be one of the more difficult aspects of the apologetic process, trying to help people see that their own worldview, how they're thinking about things, is just it is not it doesn't make sense it's self-contradictory it's not true trying to critique the unbiblical worldview and this goes back again to that second corinthians chapter 10 passage about being able to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raises itself up against the knowledge of god we want to be able to critique those ideas from a biblical worldview well how do we go about doing that we, we may know our Bibles. We'll be able to tell people what the Bible says. We'll be able to push antithesis and maybe do all these sorts of things. But how do we actually go about critiquing 
unbiblical worldviews. And that's what I want to spend our time talking about today, the concept of worldviews. First, let's talk about what is a worldview. Very, very simply, it's how one views the world. <laughs> it's, it's not that complicated. Uh, a worldview is just how we understand reality. There's an apologist, his name was Greg Bonson, he wrote this. A worldview is a network of presuppositions about the nature of God and man, the world, how we know, just how, how do we know things, how we're supposed to live our lives. All right? Everything that we think about, just, just the way we think about the world, the way we think about mankind, the way we think about who or what God is, all this stuff factors into our worldview, and it's all at the presuppositional level. These are things that we just assume to be true as we go about our lives. We all have presuppositions. We all have a worldview. Some worldviews are more complex and more nuanced than other worldviews. Some are much more simple. But everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a way that they view the world and understands what they, they see in the world around them. Thoughts or questions about the concept of a worldview? Okay. There is a whole... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's that, that. The particulars is less um, less important for our conversation today. Of the particulars of other worldviews, um, we're going to be looking at today. What are just some of the elements of a worldview, and I would agree. Because if you were to ask someone what's your worldview, I mean, I know if someone came and asked me what's my worldview, it's like, it's like well, what does that mean? It's like, I think, like I said, it's, I think it's ingrained into how we operate, you know, how we make our decisions, you know, what we do that we don't even really consciously think about it at any given moment. I don't know that a lot of people really could articulate it, which I think probably makes Mm-hmm. Um, you know, identifying and challenging and critiquing someone's worldview because the other person doesn't just come right out and say, well, this is my worldview. Right. If we're really having to almost infer what their worldview is by dissecting it, what they're saying, what they're doing, how they're responding to things. Well, here in a moment, um, I'm, I'm going to repeat some of what you said so that it gets caught on the recording here. Uh, Jim was saying how the the most people just have a the, our worldview is so intuitive to us that we don't even necessarily always consciously think about and are able to articulate if someone asks the question oh what's your worldview like oh well it's X Y Z it's like well especially uh, as you're just engaging with people out in the world who and. and the majority of us don't necessarily go and think around like, okay, the things that we're about to go through, the elements of a worldview is what we're going to be talking about. We don't just spend a lot of time just dwelling on these things all the time. 
And so to be able to articulate them, it is challenging. But what we are going to do today, I'm going to give us some questions that we can ask that will help reveal and uncover the worldview. Even if it's not able to be articulated, oh, my worldview is X, Y, Z. Well, by asking certain questions, we can probe in, even without using the word worldview. And I would even recommend, you probably don't even need to use the word. But it is something that we all have. And exactly, yes. Mm-hmm. And so as we start probing into those things, we begin to discover what the worldview is that we're dealing with. And then we can go in and begin critiquing it without ever using the word worldview, etc. The things that I'm about to go through right now as far as the elements of a worldview, this is where, so when I was a kid, uh, I always had this one Sunday school teacher who when he was introducing new concepts to us, he would always tell us, all right, everybody, it's time to put your thinking caps on. All right, get it out. Put your thinking caps on. Because they were, he was just kind of cluing us in and letting us know, hey, you're going to have to think about this a little bit. This isn't just, uh, this isn't just story time, right? This is, all right, let's, let's chew on something for a minute. Right, yes. Today, you're going to need your thinking caps. Some of the stuff that we're going to talk about is really complicated, and we're, I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible, but it gets very, very complicated very, very quickly. So, you've been warned. <laughs> the first element of a worldview, metaphysics. Metaphysics, this is our theory of reality. Metaphysics... Uh, and the next one is, the, is something called epistemology, our theory of knowledge. Both these things are notoriously difficult to explain and articulate. And it's difficult to wrap our minds around because we're talking about not just our experience in the world, but how do we know what we're experiencing about it in the world. So it's like, it's like, it's like a step backwards. It's, it's really uh, difficult to try to think through some of these things. But metaphysics is the study of the nature of being. So there would be questions like, how did the universe come to exist? That's a metaphysical question. Some people try to say that that's a scientific question, but it's really not a purely scientific question because we weren't there. We can't study it empirically. Like we can't touch it and feel it. Like we can't observe it. So there's no way that we could actually test the origin of the universe, so it's not really truly a scientific question. It's really fundamentally a philosophical question, which is why it's, it's, it fits under the heading of metaphysics. Many religious questions are fundamentally metaphysical questions. So questions like, is there an afterlife? Do we have souls? Those are metaphysical questions. They're, they're kind of a step beyond what we can actually study and examine in the physical world, they're just our theory of reality, our theory about what is true, about what is. So a naturalistic worldview, if we're talking about metaphysics, they're going to say that the only thing that exists is the physical universe. Uh, That would be their metaphysical understanding, right? There's no spiritual realm. A biblical worldview says, no, there is a spiritual realm. We do have souls. There is an afterlife, etc., And that would be elements of our metaphysics, our theory of reality. Questions about metaphysics? 
Yes. Yes. What is our purpose? What is our place? Why are we here? Definitely. All that, those would be metaphysical questions. Yes. Epistemology, and, and we're going to just, I'm using the big words because these are the categories. We're going to try to break it down a little more simpler here in a little bit. So, epistemology, our theory of knowledge. Epistemology is about how we know things. Now, this, this is where the conversation can get really convoluted very quickly. <laughs> how do we know what we know? All right, how do, we, how do we know that you're sitting in this room today? Like, how do you know that this is actually a reality and it's not just a, you're not a brain in a jar somewhere responding to electrical stimuli going on? Like, like how do you know that that's the case? The study of epistemology, our theory of knowledge, how we know things. It's been said that there are three fundamental ways that people try to prove things and try to prove truth claims, and we're going to get into this more in a little bit. So, um, but there's appeal to an authority, there's rationalism using our reason, our thought, or logic, or there's empiricism, which is observation or experience. But epistemology goes a little bit deeper than those things because it really asks the questions, well, how do I know that my reasoning is valid? How do I know that logic is valid? How do I know that I can trust my senses? That, I, that when I'm putting my hands on, on something hard and I'm feeling it, how do I know that I can actually trust that that's actually there and not just a figment of my imagination? Can I be sure that what I have observed or what I've experienced is an accurate reflection of reality? These are epistemological questions. Every worldview, whether, again, to your point, Jim, we may not be able to always articulate our metaphysic understanding, our theory of reality. We may not always be able to articulate necessarily our theory of knowledge, but we all have this intuitively. So you've just revealed something about your worldview, about your epistemology. And the answer is yeah. I believe the answer is yes. I think that's part of a biblical worldview. The reason why we can use logic, the reason why we can use re, uh, our senses and, and trust to a degree that, okay, when I put my hand on this, this podium here, that it's actually there and I can trust that. We believe that that's true because of what we believe about what the Bible says about how God created us about how God made us in his image. So we can use logic and we can use reasoning um, how, about how God created the world and it's not just a lie. Like how like the matter itself is real. Like we're trusting what the Bible says about those things and that is part of our epistemology. Does that make sense? So yes, I would argue that well, this is, and that becomes important to our apologetics. I think the only way that we can say that we can have any kind of certain knowledge is within a biblical worldview. An atheistic worldview cannot lead us to certain knowledge of anything. And that's a whole big conversation. Just to keep moving forward a little bit here, another aspect of a worldview is the concept of ethics. It's our theory of the ought 
so to speak, what ought to be, what ought we to do, what should we do, what, is there inherent right and wrong, how do we discern what is right and wrong? Every worldview has a theory of ethics. Uh, some people, you know, if, if you know, an unbiblical worldview might appeal to, well, it's just do no harm, that's our ethic. Uh, but then who gets to define what harm is? Uh, other worldviews say, well, it's just we are, the, what is right is determined by consensus, by the majority. It's like, who defines what's good? Who, and, and good for who? Right? So, yeah. It, uh, Hitler's whole motivation and ethic was for the greater good of the perfect human race, right? The Aryan race and all these sorts of things, right? Like, and we see the result that that had upon all the people that he killed. It's like, is, are we really going to go by consensus here? Like, that's not... <laughs> and so, but every worldview has some theory of this and they're trying to account for this in some way. Now, we, as a part of our... Uh, apologetic methodology critiquing unbiblical worldviews, get, get, we get to try to challenge some of those things. Finally, every worldview has an appeal to some ultimate authority. Where does the buck stop? The buck stops somewhere. Where does that buck stop? Any worldview that does not begin and end with the one true God Ultimately, the buck is stopping with some human being and their ideas. We want to say, no, we need to have our ultimate authority is the one true God, and we need to rest in what God has said. So these are elements of a worldview. As we just kind of press in a little bit more and just try to say, okay, how do we... How do we probe into someone and find out where, what their worldview is? I have different questions that can help us uncover what someone's worldview is, where their thinking is, so that we can be able to understand it better and also be able to provide the critiques that we might have. Who are we? Human beings. Where did we come from? Are we just evolved animals? Were we created by God uh, as unique beings? Uh, Who are we? Where did we come from? Is there inherent value to human life? Different questions like this reveal a worldview. Where did the universe come from? Question of ethics. How should we live our lives? How should, uh, should we seek to care for other people? Should we be self-focused? Should we uh, just live however we, th- we think is right, just whatever we feel like, whatever feels good, whatever your heart tells you, just, just live by that? Or should we live by something that God has said, by, by what God has revealed in His Word, etc.? What is the purpose of life? Is it to live for yourself, to make yourself feel good, to make other people feel good? Live for the glory of God? What is the purpose of life? What happens after we die? Are we accountable to anyone? 
These are questions that I'll probe into and try to uncover, expose what someone's worldview is without ever using the word worldview. You look like you were going to say something, Phil. Maybe I'm reading something. Yeah. (laughs) Now, as we keep moving forward and thinking about these things, I'm going to give us a uh, kind of a, I'm going to give us some pictures, right? We all like pictures, right? When it comes to critiquing worldviews and, under, and thinking about worldviews, one of the questions that we need to think through is the question of coherence. Is a worldview logically consistent with itself? Does it cohere, the different elements? We talked about these different categories, metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, ultimate authority. These things all play with each other. Like they don't exist in isolation, but they, they inform the other categories. Our metaphysical uh, theory inf- it helps inform and plays off of our epistemological theory, our theory of knowledge, etc., and our ethics. What we understand about the world impacts how we understand how we should live in the world. Like these things play off each other. If I'm going to put that in a graphical representation, a worldview would kind of look like this. There is, everyone has some level of an ultimate authority, but then there's the, the view of reality, that's the metaphysics, the question of how do we know it's so, that's the question of, of epistemology, and all of these things together inform our ethics and how we ought to be living our lives. So there's the graphical representation of a worldview. An unbiblical worldview might start with something like um, let's see. Oh, I'm going to try to do something here. Uh, okay, I'm not going to try to do this. I'm going to try to write on the screen, and that's just not a good idea. If I had my uh, little writing tablet, I would get, try to get, or, or just actual mouse, I would try it. But So let's say or the ultimate authority, an unbiblical worldview might have something like you know, science or something like that as scientific consensus is the ultimate authority. The view of reality, uh, only what we can empirically test, that's in the word em, in, uh, empirically, that's talking about our sense perception, our experience, things that we can physically observe. Only what we can physically observe and test and experience empirically, that's what's real. Nothing else is real. How do you know? Well, I just, I, it's, it's just what we can test and, and, and how, based on what we test in the world, that tells us how we know and that's, so science becomes, the scientific consensus becomes our ultimate authority and then that informs our ethics about how we live our lives uh, and that can be applied in a variety of ways. Um, but is it consistent? This begins to get into concepts of circular reasoning. Now, this is where, again, we, if we still got our thinking caps on, we've got we to gotta get those thinking caps going here pretty good. All worldviews are inherently circular. 
I mentioned this before, different ways to prove something. We can appeal to, to some authority. Well, how do you know something's true? Well, someone who knows something about this has told me. Uh, there's these scientists that say this. God says this. There's an authority. There's an appeal to authority. So I'm a, trying to prove it by an authority. Rationalism. I'm using my reason. I'm using my thought. I'm using my logic, trying to reason through it rationally to try to demonstrate that something's true. Um, you know, all dogs have four legs. Spot is a dog. Spot should have four legs. Logic, just the logical flow. And unless there's been some kind of accident, Spot's going to have four legs, right? <laughs> uh, so we try to use logic. We try to reason through things to try to prove things are so. I mentioned empiricism. That's the concept of, of I, I'm proving it true because I've, I've experienced it. I, I've seen it. I've, I, I've observed it with my own two eyes, my sense perception, right? We empirically verifying something by having, like, I know this table is hard or this podium is hard because, oh, I feel it. I, I've empirically verified that it's hard, Right? That's empiricism. But the thing about all these things is that all these things ultimately come back to some ultimate authority. And what we're going to see is that circular reasoning is inescapable. I can try to reason through something logically, but according to what logic, according, how do we know that logic itself is valid and is a valid way to prove something? I can try to uh, prove something empirically, trying to demonstrate you know, something by our sense perception, try to demonstrate it empirically, but how do I know that my senses and my perception are valid? Ultimately, this is somewhere, this is going to have to come back to some ultimate authority that's going to inform us and tell us that we can trust our reasoning, that we can trust our senses. But it ultimately comes back to some authority that's informing us that that is so. And so we have circular reasoning in the midst of it all. There's vicious circles. And vicious circles are, uh, these are circles that don't, that don't hold up under scrutiny. We get into these circles, we get into the, in, in the thought of these things, but they don't actually hold up to scrutiny and examination. Or there are virtuous circles. And we, I would argue that a biblical worldview, it is a, there is a circular reasoning to it, but it is a virtuous circle because it begins with the one true God who has created all things and he has revealed himself to us in his word and everything is based upon that. Putting this in graph form, unbiblical worldview. Uh, we should trust the science. Well, why? Well, science shows us what is true. Oh, so science is there for the ultimate authority, so therefore we should trust the science. Well, why? Well, because science shows us what is true. Oh, okay, so science is there for the ultimate authority, so we should trust the science. Goes round and round and round. That's the thing. Scientific consensus changes over time, right? We lear- as we learn more information, we change our theories. But, there's a, but the worldview of scientism does not view, um, it, it has a distorted view of, of the scientific method. 
This is a naturalistic worldview. There are other worldviews, but they are always equally circular in different ways. So if we were to plug that into our thing here, into our chart, we would say the ultimate authority, that is, okay, a scientism. How do you know? Well, we've tested it scientifically. Our view of reality is only that which exists in the physical realm. That's what's true. And so we have our circle. A biblical worldview, and I'm sorry for this tiny little font, but it wouldn't all fit on the screen. We should trust the Bible. Well, why? Because it's God's Word. Well, how do we know it's God's Word? Well, God tells us in His Word what the Bible is and, and how, who He is and all those sorts of things. And God is the ultimate authority, so therefore, we should trust the Bible. Why? Well, because it's God's Word. It's, it's, a, it's still circular, but every worldview ultimately is. There's no escaping circular reasoning because there's always an ultimate authority. And any time you appeal to something outside of your circle as the, to try to justify your circle, the only thing you've actually done is just made your circle a little bit bigger and whatever you're appealing to fits within that circle as your ultimate authority. Does that make sense? Or I'm just spewing stuff here and it's just messing with our brains. <laughs> Both. <laughs> so, here's a, here's a real-world example. The Constitution of the United States. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> How do you define true? Well, I mean, with that, with that, a lot of was godly truth. Right. So, it's okay that it's changing as long as it's in constant pursuit of God's truth. Right. So, this is where we would contrast a healthy approach to the scientific method contrasts with scientism. So, scientism, a is actually an irrational trust in scientific consensus. And, I think that's where, and that's where the majority of the world is. Sure. Yes. It's the underpinning of, well, science is the ultimate authority, so we should trust it because it shows us it's true. You know, that proves it versus, versus we have a method right. to seek out and test, <clears throat> is this true or not? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I think a lot of times those, what we see today is those two things logically and rationally are very different, but they get conflated as they're one and the same. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And that's so our our uh, our scientific understanding of different things in the world adjusts with data or agenda, as the case may be, right? Um, but God's Word doesn't change. Yeah. And He says that in His Word, yeah. So there's, there's the contrast between a virtuous circle versus a vicious circle. Well, if the, if the U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land, according to Article 6, Clause 2, well, isn't that circular reasoning? The Constitution is, is yeah, it, it is affirming itself as the supreme law. If there was some other document that was saying the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, that other document would be the supreme law, right? So we can't escape. That's just kind of an illustration, a real-world illustration. It's even in our, in our context here in America of how anytime there is an authority where, whatever the ultimate authority is, everything that flows from that is going to be circular in some way. And we want our ultimate authority to be the one true God. So just to bring all of this now, it's bringing all this together for application. We're gone through all of this to help us try to think through worldviews, how worldviews operate, the elements of a worldview, how we can d- un- discover someone's worldview. All of this is getting us to this moment here at the end where we're seeking to critique unbiblical worldviews and try to show that they're insufficient. And there are at least three ways. I'm going to give you three ways to do it. Um, and maybe in future weeks we can talk about specific, uh, specifically how to do this for specific worldviews. We can ask the question, okay, are, as we think about someone's worldview, are there ele- any elements of that world that are arbitrary or groundless or baseless? Well, it's so just because I said so. This is just what I believe. Like, well, Why? Well, I don't know. I just, I just, because. I would argue that the majority of the world who do, does not have a biblical worldview, yet they're still holding on to some forms of morality, it's arbitrary. To, it, within their worldview, it's arbitrary. Now, we believe that they're borrowing from a biblical worldview to try to establish their worldview or try to establish their morality. But within the worldview, it's actually arbitrary, it's groundless, it's baseless. It's so because I said so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Would that be involved in this? Is that kind of another another aspect? 
I think that would be uh, combined with this. Okay. Any elements of the worldview is it can inconsistent with other elements. So, and this is where any naturalistic worldview is not going to be able to provide any consistent rational basis for morality and ethics. They're going to hold to some kind of morality and ethics, but it's going to be inconsistent with their view of reality, their view of the world. And so I can probe into that. I can challenge them on that and say, look, you believe it's wrong for me to steal your wallet, but you also believe that we are just uh, chemical neurons firing and that there's no purpose in the world uh, and that um, there's no God, we're not accountable to anybody. That's inconsistent with your worldview. Right, yeah. So there's a, it, you're, you're challenging the inconsistency, and then that's to your point, Jim. You're actually borrowing from my worldview to establish your morality. You're borrowing from the Bible. The Bible is the one that says you shall not steal, right? So are there any elements that are inconsistent with the other elements? Does their view of epistemology line up with their view of metaphysics. So all we believe is this rational world or is a physical world, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, how, do you, how can you know that that's actually true? Can you test that? Can you test that theory? Well, no. It's inconsistent. <clears throat> the last thing you can try to challenge somebody is, is there actually explanatory power to give account for reality? Does your worldview, the way you think about the universe and its existence... Does it actually explain why we see what we see in the world? A biblical worldview explains why we see, why, why is there evil in the world? How can we even have evil as a definition of anything? When we have a biblical worldview, we have uh, what God has told us in His Word. We have the scriptures that tell us about how... Adam and Eve, they fell into sin and how that there was a curse upon the world that God brought because of their sin. And therefore, all of the world is under the curse of sin. And we see the effects of that all around us. Well, other worldviews cannot account for those categories of evil and good. Like there's, there's no, they can't account for that. Is there explanatory power to give an account for reality? And that's where we're going to have to leave things today. I know I probably, I, you know, kind of shot you with a fire hose of a lot of stuff today. There's yeah, uh, complex concepts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How God murders people in the Bible, and how that's inconsistent with what I'm saying, that God is a loving God. Like, it's all these fired things, and it's like, <clears throat> I don't know how to refute that, I don't know how to not argue, I don't yeah.
Yep. Mm-hmm. And then it, it kind of turns the tables and it's saying, you know, you're, you're making the statement, yes, I, I will concede the point. Absolutely. We know. Men love the Bible. Um, but you're, you're making the claim that's a bad thing. Why is that? And, and ultimately, so the issue, uh, uh, you're going to say something or are you stretching? Well, where it talks about like men going from bad to worse and all these things coming about. It's exactly right. And that's where we're doing what we can to try to, you know, uh, Jude talks about snatching people from the fire. Um, we want to save, we, we want to seek to proclaim the good news of Christ to whoever we can. That perhaps there will be a few that are going to trust in Christ. Um, Yeah. In our Bible reading plan last night, our reading is Job 1 and 2. Right. Um, it's like if I take a if I take a car 
whose designer and the maker of that car designed it for gasoline, and I was like, you know what, man, I want to put diesel in it. Yeah. To answer your question, Robin, um, as a part of our, our time, I do intend to go through a few common things that people try. So uh, this is kind of like the offensive side of things, critiquing on biblical worldviews. I do plan to spend some time talking on the defensive side of things. Okay, when people have questions about, how do we respond? And actually, it would be helpful if, if, um, if each of you have had things that you've had people say to you that you've just struggled with how to respond to, if you want to write those down and get those to me, that'll be helpful for me because then I can help us think through, okay, how do we respond to these things uh, in a, you know, like some of what Jim was saying I think is helpful for answering some of those things in particular. Um, but even if you were to, to flip the question around, oh, God murders people. Just for the sake of the argument, let's concede that you're right in your worldview, why is that a problem? You have an atheistic worldview. We're just evolved animals. Why is it a problem if, if there's the killing of just another animal? The fact that they think it's a problem is evidence that they actually are conceding that the biblical worldview is correct in a, to a degree. Like they're, they're, they're conceding something even with the question. Now, I don't. That, as far as, a lot of times, that's not always helpful for uh, changing their mind, but it just helps to try to spur the thinking a little bit. Um, how do you know that men wrote the Bible? How do you know that? Oh, I read it somewhere. Oh, really? Did another man write that? They're, they're trusting someone. So you can trust this other man who's saying this about the Bible, or you can trust the Bible and the men who wrote it. And ultimately, we know that the Bible is not just written by just men. It's written through the, with the Holy Spirit. Um, he, he guided that process. So it is God's Word. So now, of course, he's going to reject that idea, but it doesn't mean it's not true. So... And we'll, we'll talk, we can talk more about that in future weeks. And I'm going to make a note of those specific questions. And if there are other things that are specific things that, hey, you know, I've had someone say this to me and I don't know how to respond, write that down and get that to me and I'll incorporate it into our series. Okay? All right. Right. And it's not consistent with the worldview that they're claiming. I mean, initially, a lot of times, people can respond with a certain amount of hostility. You're like, you're, you're striking at something so poor. But like, once you point out that inconsistency, that, that worm has a way of wiggling into <laughs> the like, It just doesn't let go. Yeah, and, and we should expect people to, when we're critiquing worldviews, we should expect people to get defensive. Be- and, and we should expect them to try to critique us. Yes. And if we're holding to a biblical worldview, like, bring it on. I'm open to the critique. 
And that's where, yeah. And that's where the apologetic comes in. How do I defend my Right. And a thing that I've said before that my pastor drilled into me, truth never needs to be afraid of investigation. Let's examine it. Let's scrutinize it. Let's look into it. The truth will prevail. So we can, if, if people are willing to be honest in their inquiry and not everyone's willing to be honest with their questions, right? Some pe- some, and the majority of the time, it's not an honest question. It's the whole suppress and replace idea. So... It can be, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're out of time, so I'm going to, yes. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer here, and we'll shuffle things around and get to our morning service. Lord, thank you for the, this time that we could think through some difficult things together today. Uh, Lord, these are some challenging things to think about, uh, and the, the, the issue of worldview and the different elements of it. Uh, sometimes these categories can get very complicated and um, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to think through, okay, Lord, how can we identify what someone's worldview is? How can we ask them the questions that will reveal it? And then how can we probe in and, and expose their inconsistency within their own worldview and point them to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, show them that you know, the only way to consistently think about this is through understanding what God's Word says and believing that God's, is, God's Word is true and it has the answers for the questions that we have in life. Pray that you guide us, direct us, and Lord, as we transition to our time together of uh, our morning worship, uh, that we would glorify you as we sing songs of praise, as we study your word from the Gospel of Mark. We would glorify you together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.